The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Black Art. As we said on our show last week, people who get cancer chemotherapy must decide what to do about losing their hair. Some just accept it, and some go to great lengths to try and keep it. The system that I rented involves having these three gel caps uh, that fit completely around your head. It's supposed to cover every inch of your hair, and they are somewhere around like negative 30. That's negative 30 degrees Celsius. Kimberly Molina, a breast cancer survivor in her 30s, is describing one method of cold capping. It's a cap or several caps that refrigerate the scalp. The cold constricts the blood vessels in the scalp, which reduces the amount of chemo that reaches the scalp and, if successful, reduces the amount of hair loss. A small number of cancer hospitals in Canada provide the equipment and personnel. For Kimberly and her mom, it was DIY putting fresh cold caps on her scalp. I had to switch them out every 20 minutes for another cap so that the heat from my head didn't warm it up too much. So I had to have my mother help me switch out from the bottom of the cooler with the dry ice. Later in the show, we'll hear a lot more from Kimberly Molina, the extraordinary lengths she went to try and keep her hair, and her frustration with the system. But here's a woman who felt she did get the support she needed from healthcare. My name's Tammy Wagner. I'm in Crispampsis, New Brunswick, and I am a recent breast cancer survivor and warrior. Tammy was diagnosed with breast cancer in early 2022 and started chemo that spring. I was mentally preparing myself to lose my hair because I just assumed that's what happens when you go through cancer, and it's quite common. Um, I had 16 rounds of chemo. The last four were a harsher treatment. They said even if I don't lose it in the first 12, I would probably lose it in the last four. So I was assigned a nurse navigator, breast nurse navigator, through the hospital when I, I was officially diagnosed with breast cancer. I think she took one look at my hair, and I have a lot of it. Tammy had her chemo at the St. John Regional Hospital, where she was provided with an oncology nurse navigator. They provide information and emotional support and help coordinate care. Tammy says the navigator told her about cold capping. She said what would be involved. I'm a warm weather person, so being cold for over an hour was a little bit intimidating and uh, not so exciting to hear about, but... I'm very glad that she uh, told me about it. Tammy says St. John Regional Hospital helped her with cold capping. Still, she found the process arduous. It's very hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And my husband was trained by my nurse navigator, and it took him 45 minutes just to wet down my hair and prepare it for the cap, the actual part that freezes your hair follicles. I wanted to be sure there was no space or gap at the top. And then the top layer goes on and it has a hose in that attaches to a machine 
So he prepared me, he put the cap on, and he was able to stay there and monitor the machine because it has to be timed. And you're sitting with it for basically three hours, actually, because you you wear it before your actual treatment. So I believe I wore it for a half hour before my treatment. And then they would bring out the IV bags of the treatment, and then you have it on. So that's another hour. And then I have to keep it on another hour and a half after. So I didn't leave right away when my treatment was done. I had to stay. And that just ensures that it is freezing the follicles so that you don't lose any hair. And I looked after my hair. I did what my nurse navigator said. So I only washed it once a week. I didn't use any heat appliances. I used an all natural like shampoo and conditioner. And I was one of the few that kept all my hair. It didn't have any bald patches like other women have had. And I kept kept all of it. She says it was important to try and keep her hair for her sake and her family's. I also have children. I just wanted to try to have some normalcy. I mean, it's it's part of life, you know, and it's healthy for them to see, you know, mom or dad sick. But uh, it did make a difference, I found, trying to keep some normalcy in the house and with them and less stress and for myself and just for, you know, some self-confidence. You know, I've been out gardening. I, I created a whole new garden bed while I was going through chemo. I was out doing stuff and I I kept my hair so I didn't look like I had cancer. My children didn't seem to change. Obviously, it wasn't easy on them, but I think it did make things a lot easier for them to see that I wasn't really sick. Not that I wanted to be overprotective of them or anything. It just made our lives a little bit easier. I think it should be something that's offered to every person. Tammy Wegner had a good experience with cold capping in no small way because she got support from the cancer hospital in St. John. Across Canada, Tammy's experience may be more the exception than the rule. Hi, my name is Kimberly Molina. I'm a reporter at CBC Ottawa, and I'm a breast cancer survivor. Kimberly is 38 and was diagnosed with breast cancer two years ago at age 36. She was initially treated at a hospital in Ottawa, where she happens to work as a reporter and where she lives. Kimberly Molina, welcome to White Coat Blackheart. Thank you for having me. Before you got diagnosed with breast cancer, how would you characterize your relationship with your hair? It took me many years to love my hair. When I was a child, it was very short. Uh, I wouldn't call it stylish. It was short and curly, not exactly the hairstyle that a, a kid wants to have. But when I became a teenager, I started to grow it out. And I really loved my hair. And when I was in high school, it was something that I I really appreciated were my curls. And I often had my hair uh, halfway down my back. And so for many years, I've, I've really loved having my curls, but that took me many years to get to that point. Would you say that having long hair was part of your identity? My hair was absolutely a part of my identity. Uh, It still is. But my my long curls were something that, to me, made me me and made me somebody that I recognized when I looked in the mirror. And having short hair now is a process getting used to. It doesn't bring back the greatest memories. 
You were in your 30s when you got diagnosed with breast cancer, which in and of itself is pretty unusual. How did that come about? It happened to be that I was on vacation in Europe in September of 2021 when I noticed a lump. And I got back to Canada. My family doctor suggested, oh, it's probably nothing because you're you're young, but we'll get you in for a mammogram just in case. And when I had my mammogram, uh, I was told right away it might be breast cancer. And I had a biopsy just a few days later and the results a week after that. How did you feel getting that diagnosis? I don't think anybody is prepared to hear the words, you have cancer. It felt like every part of me was just being being ripped out. It is such a difficult thing to hear. It's also hard because you often hear from, from doctors that, that you are too young. It's probably nothing until it is something. Your youth also plays an important role in the story for another reason, which has to do with your hair. And I, I, I want to get into that. Your doctors in Ottawa recommended chemotherapy. What did that mean to you? I was terrified of the side effects. You automatically think, okay, I'm going to be nauseated all the time. I'm going to be vomiting and I'm going to lose my hair. I thought that would be the case. That's essentially how it was presented to me, that there was no option for not losing my hair. I didn't want that to happen, though. And I remembered thinking, okay, I've heard about this cold capping. I'm going to look into this a little bit more. And I brought this up with my surgeon actually hadn't ever heard of cold capping. And my oncologist said that she knew about it, but that from what she understood, the results weren't that great, that most people do still end up losing their hair. That, w- that was difficult to hear, but I really felt like I wanted to try. So how did your cancer doctors in Ottawa react when you asked if you could give cold capping a try? They said they could certainly give it a try. I'd have to find a, a cold capping system to rent myself. And so I dug down. And I mean, as a, as a journalist, I'm used to research. And so I began researching getting a cold capping um, machine. And also, if there were any hospitals that all offered cold capping, And it turned out that Princess Margaret did, and I have family in Toronto, and so I requested a transfer. So basically, when you asked a hospital if they would do the cold capping or or what they thought of it, they basically said, you're on your own. That's exactly what they said. And I was told it's not a priority for us. They had other things that they wanted to spend any fundraising dollars on. They cited the cost. And it isn't cheap. Even at Princess Margaret, you know, you still have to pay uh, several hundred dollars each session. And I think that that was also one of their concerns was about the cost that would have to be passed on to patients for something that they didn't feel was, was a guarantee. How much time did you have to spend doing research on cold capping on your own? I spent hours, hours and hours and hours trying to find ways to save my hair. Save your hair. That's That was my hope. And to do that, you actually had to switch cancer hospitals and switch cities. What was that like? 
Well, I was able to switch because as an Ontario resident, uh, you are able to to get in with with any other hospital. Unfortunately, it took a long time for me to actually get that referral approved and be able to get in to see the oncologist there. And so in that time, my oncologist here in Ottawa really wanted me to start chemotherapy. And so I ended up having to rent a cold capping system on my own for my first two sessions. And it's not cheap. It was about $400 a month, and I rented it for one month. Plus, I had to pay for dry ice. You know, for those of us who, who've never seen this cold capping, don't know what it's like, can you kind of create a picture of, of what you had to do uh, in those first couple of sessions? So in my hospital bed, as I'm getting my infusion, I've got me and I've got this large blue cap essentially uh, on my head that looked quite strange, to be honest, but it was to protect the, the new growth of, of hair and hair that I didn't want to fall out. We'll be right back. From CBC Podcasts and The Fifth Estate, Brainwashed is a multi-part investigation into the CIA's experiments in mind control. From the Cold War and MKUltra to the so-called War on Terror, we learn about a psychiatrist who used his patients as human guinea pigs and what happens when the military and medicine collide. Listen to Brainwashed on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. Cold capping can help some patients keep their hair from falling out while receiving chemo. Kimberly Molina had to organize her own trial of cold capping while she got chemo in Ottawa. Then she got word that she could continue her chemo at Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto, where they have scalp cooling machines in-house. And then you got the call that uh, you could switch to Princess Margaret. Did your mom come with you? Unfortunately, by the time that I found out that I was able to switch, my hair had become unmanageable. It had started to fall out to a degree that it was getting caught in all of my other hair. And so it sort of became almost like two rat's nests on the side of my head. And for the life of us, me and my mom, we tried to comb it. We tried to put conditioner through it. We tried olive oil. Nothing was was budging. <laughs> and so... I realized that this was probably the end and I would have to cut it off. And I ended up doing that. And then I went to a person who um, makes wigs and she offered to sort of do the final shaving of, of my head. How did you feel when you looked at yourself in the mirror at that point after all that you had gone through? It was really difficult to look in the mirror and to to see myself. And as I had more and more infusions, it just continued to fall out until I was completely bald. How do you think that affected your recovery from cancer? Hair is such an important part of my identity and, and the way that I saw myself. And so to see myself bald and also losing my eyebrows, losing my eyelashes, it made me feel sicker than I was. I covered my head with with a, a hair wrap and I didn't really look at myself that often in the mirror. And I 
oftentimes refused to have photos taken of me because to to me, it was not something that I ever wanted to remember how I looked. You just, you look so much worse. And that really causes a strain on my mental health. Do you think healthcare people get how important hair is to the emotional well-being of people who lose their hair as a result of treatment, people like you? I'd like to believe that there are there are some. I have spent much of the last year and a half being very angry, not only at the diagnosis and the length of time that it took to get that diagnosis, but also just everything that I had to go through. And I don't want it to seem like I wasn't supported by healthcare professionals. You know, we have some really amazing physicians in Ottawa and and Toronto, but it felt like my emotional well-being was not being taken into account. It felt more that they were treating the cancer and trying to get me well on that front but not taking the other aspects of my treatment into account. Do you think if the people in the system helped you a little bit more that it might have you might have had a different result? I wonder that if I had begun my treatments at Princess Margaret with their cold capping system, which was a different type than the one that I used and it actually plugs into the wall, I I do wonder whether I would have been able to keep my hair. I question whether there is anything that I could have done differently to be able to keep my hair. Do you wonder why it is that one hospital says yes to cold capping and the one you started with in Ottawa said no? Absolutely. Cold capping doesn't seem to be offered at very many hospitals across the country. And so it it's sort of luck of the draw as to which hospitals might offer it, which provinces might offer it. And so it seems unfair. How are you feeling now? I feel really good now. My hair has started to grow back. I look like I did when I was five years old. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel quite healthy. I am very happy that I now have eyebrows and eyelashes and hair growing back again. It's a good feeling. Are you feeling like yourself again? I'm starting to. I really am starting to. Well, Kimberly Molina, uh, I hope you continue down the path to a complete recovery, and I want to thank you for speaking with me. Thank you very much. Cold capping is not widely available across Canada. We reached out to several cancer centers. It's offered at just a handful of hospitals. The Saskatchewan Cancer Agency and BC Cancer do not offer scalp cooling. Patients at those hospitals must pay for it and basically do it themselves as Kimberly did. Some hospitals say they don't offer cold capping in part because their doctors think the results aren't good enough to justify the effort and expense. One expert in favor is Dr. Shannon Salvador. She's a gynecologic oncologist at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. She co-authored a study with promising results for a scalp cooling system called Dignicap. My name is Dr. Shannon Salvador. I'm a gynecologic oncologist who works at the Jewish General Hospital, and I'm also an associate professor with McGill University. Dr. Shannon Salvador, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Absolutely my pleasure to be here. What did your study find out about how well scalp cooling works in helping people retain their hair? 
The most important thing we learned from the study is the manner in which we're giving the chemotherapy makes a big difference. And also the intended to detail of both the volunteer who's helping someone use the cold cap during the chemo, as well as the patient self-care at home really makes a big difference on how well they're able to keep their hair during their treatment. So let's take those one at a time. The first thing you mentioned was the way the chemo is given. Can you say more about that? Well, if you're giving a larger dose of chemotherapy, and specifically for us, we were using it with paclitaxel, if this is given in a larger dose once every three weeks, we were not able to overcome the power of the chemotherapy with someone's hair loss uh, using the Dignicab. But unfortunately, all the patients in that portion of the trial did end up losing their hair. When we change the chemotherapy over to a weekly treatment, so once a week at a lower dose, at that point in time was when we started to notice significant difference in uh, being able to keep hair. And over 50% of our patients were able to keep over 50% of their hair during that time. From your standpoint, what do you see as the limitations of scalp cooling? I think the greatest limitation is chair time. It is a resource-rich use of the machine. When you have a patient who has to come for chemo every single week, that's a, a great deal of time for them and a lot of time in the hospital to be able to come and use the machine. It requires a volunteer who's by their side the entire time that they're using the machine to be able to make adjustments. The machine is constantly giving people feedback on what the actual temperature is, so that does need to be monitored to make sure it's staying within the therapeutic range. Um, in terms of the patient themselves, they really have to put a lot of time and effort into it, so it takes a great deal of their personal time to be able to maintain their hair. And it's taking personal time at a time when they're otherwise sick. From Exactly. I find you get extremely motivated individuals, and this becomes a clear point where they feel also in control, and they're trying to manage something. For other individuals, when we describe sort of what we have to do to try and use the Dignicap, a fair number of them will say, thank you, but no thank you. I'm just focused on trying to get through the treatments. So all told, how often do patients want to try it? I would say we probably have about uh, one in every six, one in every seven patients wants to give it a try if it's offered. Why do you think very few hospitals in Canada are offering hair preserving techniques like this? The machine itself is not cheap. It costs a fair amount of money. I believe our machine, when we purchased it, was about sixty to seventy thousand dollars, and it was actually paid for by Gloria's Girls, which is a foundation at our hospital for patients undergoing treatments for ovarian cancer. So the initial machine was actually rented for us to be able to do the clinical research trial. And then once we showed proof that it actually worked, at that point in time, Gloria's Girls paid for the rest of the machine for us to then have it permanently. So unless someone has foundations or something that they can get this machine through another manner, it's unlikely that a hospital would be able to afford this in their budget. The other concern is, is that the machine itself can only accommodate two patients at a time. That requires the chair time and the coordination to be able to do that. And specifically at our hospital, we actually had to install a special plug for the machine because it mm. turned out the plugs on our chemo ward weren't able to accommodate. Would you yeah. be able to offer this treatment without the donations? No, we would not be able to do that. It's the donations that made this possible and is allowing it to continue we also have a very dedicated volunteer group that allows this to happen. Um, one of our volunteers is extremely dedicated 
He comes every time we have someone who undergoing treatment, and he spends the entire time at the bedside helping the women while they're doing their chemo treatments with the DignaCap. We've heard that at least one cancer hospital in Canada doesn't offer cold capping because they don't think the results are good enough to justify it. What do you say about that? I'd say the evidence is definitely showing that this does work. We've seen the proof in our own pudding, and the majority of the patients that I have who are on this device have kept their hair because these are the highly motivated people who really want to do this. What are we to make of the fact that you're relying on donations to be able to offer this to people who want it? I think we need to acknowledge that in Canada, we are in a socialized healthcare system where we need to place the money where it's going to do the most benefit. And unfortunately, that does mean turning away things that are of great emotional benefit to patients, but may not play a great deal in their actual clinical care. I can't fault the system on that when we look at what we're trying to do. But if you have these donors who who really view this as a value and speak with the patients and it's a value, then that is definitely where we can do the most benefit with some of that donor money. But basically, I guess what we're saying here is that in a world in which there's rationing of healthcare resources, hair loss might be seen as a second tier priority when it comes to cancer treatment. I think for the current time, yes. You treat patients with cancer all the time. You see them lose their hair. You see some of them keep their hair. What does hair mean to the identity of a patient based on your standpoint as a clinician? The biggest thing that patients express to me is just that every time that they look in a mirror, it's a reflection that they're sick. And it is a constant reminder that they are going through treatments and that and that they're they're always in their forefront of their brain that they are unwell. And I've heard it also expressed to me that when they go out in public and people see that their hair is is gone, then it's also is a bit of a stigmatization to them that they are undergoing a chemotherapy treatment and they're worried that they're being treated differently because of that. Do you think some health professionals just don't see the value in helping patients retain their hair through chemotherapy? I think it's more along the lines of that they see their focus is elsewhere. I'm trying to save your life. You'll be lucky if you keep your hair. Hmm. Yeah. Do you see the culture changing? I think so, because I think as we acknowledge how much a personal appearance and a personal self-worth is viewed as part of healthcare, and the acknowledgement how important it is for people to feel well and feel good emotionally, that this will change the culture around that. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Dr. Shannon Salvador, thank you so much for speaking with us. My absolute pleasure, Ryan. Saving lives is the main goal of cancer treatment, but emotional well-being is important too. With more evidence and lower costs, preserving hair will get easier to do and harder to justify withholding. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by our senior producer, Colleen Ross, with help from Amina Zoffer and Isabel Gallant. Our digital writer is Jason Vermesh, and our digital producer is Ruby Buiza. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.